jump in, I just want to uh, make one quick observation. Um, you know, John preached two weeks in a row, right? And then it just so happens that on the day I preach, John puts all this stuff in the service and says, Phil, eventually we'll get to the sermon. But it needs to be short. So I shall be short. Hey, there's no applause. That makes me feel at least kind of good. All right. There we go. Let's do it. So I have a lot of stories that take place in vehicles. So if you guys remember, I talked about how I like to go to the end and no one likes to let me get in. Um, I have stories of trying to glue brake pads on because the car wasn't working, of an elephant nearly trampling us, of almost driving off a cliff. I mean, we have some crazy stories. But I want to start today by sharing one of the ones that I find maybe the most exciting. Now, it takes place out in the middle of the country, in the middle of the night, on an unfamiliar road. Now, before I go too far, I want to clarify that I wasn't driving, okay? So, just to have that out there. But I was in the car with my mom, my dad, and my wife, and actually my dad was in a car behind us. And it was after a family event, and we're driving back home. It's dark out. We don't really know where we are. And some train tracks are up ahead. And, you know, they have the, the, the posts, right, that show you drive through here to go over the train tracks. So we go up, and the train tracks are on top of a little hill. So we go up this hill, onto the tracks, and then off the road. Because it turns out that the street doesn't match on the other side. It's actually like 15 feet off to the other side. So when you hit the tracks, you actually have to make a right turn to stay with the road. Of course, the driver, <coughs> my mom, uh, <laughs> didn't realize that the pylons were moved over. So instead of turning to the right, we drive, and all of a sudden you hear the sound every driver loves to hear. <clears throat> Something like that, right? But louder. That was the sound of our car bottoming out on the train tracks as we go off the hill on the other side and get stuck. So our car is stuck on the train tracks, right? So I get out, and I think, well, let's look and see what's going on. You know, someone else stay in the car, push the gas. Maybe we can kind of push, right? Not happening. So my wife and my mom go to a house that's right there. And we say, hey, they say, we're stuck on the tracks. And the guy goes, okay. And he closes the door, right? Which is just a weird response, partly because we wanted him to know you may have a flying SUV entering your living room in a moment, right? So... We're trying to figure out what happens. Aaron, I think, or myself, someone calls 911 to let them know so they can stop any trains. And they say, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> you should put a sign, right? So they call 911 because we need someone to come get us off the tracks. My wife and mom are at the house. My dad is in the other car backing it up. And I had one of those movie-like experiences, right? Like when you're in the bottom of the ninth inning, bases loaded, you hit the home run, you know, or you're running through the airport to catch the person you love before they get on the plane. Or in my case, I'm standing there looking at this SUV, trying to figure out what's going to happen, and I turn, and there's a train coming at me. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness. We thank you for this time of Advent when we can anticipate your coming, when we remember the incarnation and then live out peace as we look for your second coming, Lord. May we be present here today. May your spirit speak in our hearts. In Jesus' name, <coughs> amen. How many people are a little bugged right now that you don't know the end of the story? I, I'm here, yes. Well, when I saw the train coming, I wasn't dumb enough to stay on the track. But knowing the end of the story matters, doesn't it? Because when you know the end of a story, it impacts how you get to that end. And some of you know this about me, and other people are about to say, John, reverse my membership, okay? When I'm reading an intense fiction novel, I like to look at the last page, not, yeah, not to read all of it, but I just want to know if the main character's still there, right? I just want to know, is it okay? Because that then impacts how I go through the rest of the book, right? I kind of know whatever they go through, it doesn't take away from the difficulty that they go through, but I know what's going to happen. I know kind of the trajectory of where things are going. Because knowing the end impacts how you live now. And I love that John last week in talking about hope was saying when we anticipate something, we prepare, right? We get ready for it because we know what's coming. And in Advent, we know Jesus promised to come again. And so we are anticipating it by knowing the end. We participate now in light of the end. So I want to paint a picture for you of what our end is like. And actually, I'm plagiarizing because it's from John in the book of Revelation. So he gives us, in Revelation chapter 21, if you can go to that, do we have that? Or do I need to use, okay, good. So this is from Revelation chapter 21. This is the image of when Jesus returns again. This is the advent we are looking forward to with hope. It says, I, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, which represents no more chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, the book of Revelation works on emotion. It gives symbols and stories, often to an outlandish way, to try and get to something deep within us, to make us feel something. So when we get this image, pay attention, what are you feeling right now? My hope is there's a sense of peace, a sense of renewal. He's saying, I'm making all things new. This is the reconciliation that John is talking about last week with hope. The bringing back together of all things, our relationship with God, each other, the creation, and even ourselves. 
This is an image actually pulled from the book of Isaiah, because John often does this. He goes back to the Old Testament prophets, and he says, look at how this is going to happen in the future. But this is the end of our story. This is the peace that we have hope for. But I want to key in on that everything is new component and look at two passages from Isaiah, because I think this will give us some perspective of if this is where it's going, what does it look like for us to participate in that? Because I don't know about you, but our world doesn't look like this yet, does it? I mean, all around us, we have division, we have pain, we have suffering, we have inequality, we have issues with ourselves, issues with each other, issues with creation, issues with God, right? Things are not whole again. And it's for this reason that Isaiah writes this. This is God talking about a day. He's talking about the end, and he's talking about it from the perspective of judgment. (laughs) So we're going to look at judgment first, and then reconciliation second. So judgment. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, For all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan. For all the towering mountains and all the high hills. For every lofty tower and every fortified wall. And I changed the translation here a little bit because they put stately vessel, I believe, second. But first they said trading ship. But the actual Hebrew says every ship of Tarshish (coughs) and every stately vessel. The arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. So what God here is saying is there's some things in the creation that aren't functioning as they should. They're not working for melding relationships back together. They aren't bringing justice. They aren't bringing people together. They're not helping our relationship with God. They're not good for the creation. And I want to point out two things that Isaiah mentions. First, He mentions the cedars of Lebanon. Now, these were beautiful trees, huge trees, often they believed used in the masts of ships. (laughs) This was like having the marble countertop, right? Or having the Maserati car, right? It was like this was the beautiful, expensive thing. Do you think the ordinary average person had cedars of Lebanon in their house? No. Who would have the cedars of Lebanon? The, The king's. The people with the military, the people with the most power, the most wealth, the most influence had this. And this is why God says, I have a day to bring low what is prideful and lofty, what man uses to lift himself up at the expense of others, breaking the peace of the world. But the second thing is the ship of Tarshish. Now, can anyone else think, where do you know Tarshish from? Jonah? Where else? Tarsis. <laughs> Almost got me there. Tarshish. So Jonah tries to flee to Tarshish. Some even believe he might have been on a ship of Tarshish. And what Tarshish becomes a representative of is something far away from God. Right? He's trying to run away from God. And so the ships of Tarshish were trading vessels. So these were used what? To make some people rich again, often at the expense of somebody else. These were things that could be good. Inherently, they have the opportunity because trade is good, right? We want to be influenced by other people. The things someone makes in another part of the world, we would like here. Ideas from other places we want here. People from other places, we want that. So a ship can be a good thing. But when it's used to break peace rather than make peace, 
just for the pride of a few, God says, I have a day where that thing is going to be judged. So he's talking about that last day. But I want you to see now, when we read Isaiah chapter 60, God does something very interesting for judgment. Let's go to that passage. So this is an image of heaven. This is right where near where John takes that image in Revelation from. This is God saying, when I return and make all things new, here's what it's going to be like. This is the last page. This is the end of the story. He says, who are these that fly along like clouds, like doves to their nests? Surely the islands look to me. In the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your children from afar with their silver and gold. To honor, to the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. <clears throat> and the next one. Skipping down to verse 13. The glory of Lebanon will come to you. The juniper, the fir, and the cypress together to adorn my sanctuary, and I will glorify the place for my feet. Anyone notice, what are the two things mentioned here? The glory of Lebanon cedars, right? It, doesn't, it mentions other types, but it says the glory of Lebanon and the ships of Tarshish, except in this case, the wood is being built for God's sanctuary, and the ships are sailing for God's kingdom. So we like to think of the beginning as judgment, like, oh, they're going to be destroyed, right? They'll be wiped out. But yet here, we see them actually working with and for God. And so what we kind of see in this passage happening is what I call, again, the reconciliation of all things. God isn't saying, I'm doing away with creation. I'm doing away with all those things that were messed up. What he's saying is, I'm restoring them to a place and a way of peace that is good for everyone. He said, I'm bringing your children from afar, the riches from other places for the glory of God. The things that used to be used to divide people, now they're bringing them together. The things that used to be used just to make some think they're really, you know, really good, really wealthy, are now being used to adorn God's home, which is a place where everyone is welcome. And so what we get here, in the end of the story, is an image where everything is restored in a way that brings peace to every person, every creature, every relationship, and even our own understanding of ourselves. This is where the story is headed. This is the end. God says, I'm making all things new. This is the hope that we hold on to. So during Advent, when we take this time to specifically remember and anticipate this coming again, there's an invitation to say, how can we participate in that end right now? Does that make sense? Not waiting for it just sometime in the future, how can we gain glimpses here and now? So this is why Jesus comes up to people and he heals them, right? Or he casts out a demon. And what does he sometimes say to them? The kingdom has come near you. The kingdom has come close to you. He's not saying in its fullness, he's not saying heaven is now here, but he's saying just right here in this instant, a little window opened and you glimpsed the end of the story. You experienced the end of the story right here in this interaction. 
So Paul in Corinthians says, you are ambassadors of reconciliation. Meaning, we know where the story's going. We now get to represent that story everywhere we're at in everything that we do. And so the beauty is, this doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad or you've been laid off and you don't have a job or you're in school or you're retired or as my dad likes to say, full-time grandparent, right? doesn't matter if you're a gas station attendant or a teacher or a lawyer or an engineer or a struggling music artist or you have a dream of something you want to do and it hasn't been realized yet. It doesn't matter where you are in that because as an ambassador of reconciliation, your number one invitation is to make peace wherever you are. That see, offering glimpses of this kingdom doesn't depend on your education level or how much money you have. It just depends on can we love God and love others? Can we offer to see the person in front of us? Can we hear them? Can we see each other for who we really are and invite something out of that space? So during Advent, our invitation is to have that end become a reality now. And don't mishear me. I'm not saying we can make heaven, right? I, I'm not saying that. But I am saying I believe that we can have glimpses when we serve one another, when we love one another, when we see someone in pain and we offer them presents. Not presents like Christmas presents, but our presents. When we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. When we say, hey, I'm only going to make a purchase when I know it's not harming someone in some other part of the world. I'm going to spend a little bit more money to make sure that this is peaceful for all. I'm going to be careful of what I say because if my words aren't building up, then they're tearing down, and that's not a glimpse of the end of the story. When I'm at work, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to serve. I'm not there to make more of myself. I'm there so that I can give glimpses of the peace that Jesus offers. This is why it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. It matters do you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Is the end of your story this piece? Because if it is, you can experience it now and you can offer it to others. So brothers and sisters, my invitation to you this morning is to say, as you go from this space, whatever you have going on tomorrow, maybe you're excited about it, maybe you're anxious about it, maybe you're dreading it, Maybe it's a really good thing. Maybe you have nothing on the calendar tomorrow. But in Advent, can you intentionally open your eyes and ears and heart to say, where today can I experience the end of the story now? And where is God inviting me in this moment? In Man Cave, we're about to read a book by a man named Father Albert Hass. And he says, the present moment is an ambassador for God. Letting us know what the need is in the moment. So in the moment, can you be open to what is the need God is inviting you to meet so that peace may reign, so that the end of the story can become a reality now? And by the way, when that train was coming down the track straight at me like something out of a movie, thank God, I didn't know this until it got right on me, it was on the second track, and it missed our car by like six inches. Let's pray.
Invite the worship team back up as well. Lord God, we thank you that the end of our story is possible because of you. That you made peace by joining us as a human, by becoming incarnate, not in the house of kings, Lord, but in poverty. That you loved us enough to die for us and love us enough to invite us into hope, peace, joy, and love. Lord, may this not just be a time to remember or to let things happen to us, but Lord, may we be intentional about participating in your incarnation, participating in offering glimpses of your peace where all things are good for all people for your glory and honor, Lord. So give us the eyes to see, give us the ears to hear that we may experience and offer glimpses of your kingdom where all things are made new. In Jesus' holy name, amen.